0: Hi, I'm Brett Terpstra. and this is Systematic on ESN. My guest this week is David Allen, a writer, a speaker, and an all-around getting things done guy, uh, the author of the original Getting Things Done book. How's it going?
1: Good. Delighted to be here, Brett. Thanks.
0: I'm delighted to have you. Let's let's talk a little bit about kind of the origin story behind David Allen. You're 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 more or less a I would say more. You're 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 a folk hero among the modern nerd. GTD is is ubiquitous. Everyone talks. You know everything comes back to GTD. So where did it? Where did the productivity kind of uh, mindset start for you?
1: When I was born, at least <laughs> when I, <laughs> you know, uh, in a way, it's not really a facetious answer. And as I look back on it, I'm not a naturally organized or particularly uh, driven or aspirational guy, uh, or, or even entrepreneurial, I, I'm, I'm really, I, I wake up thinking, how much easier can I do what it is, whatever it is that I'm doing. So, uh, and I don't know that that was the prime driver, but it's certainly avocationally or or hobby wise, uh, something I I never stopped doing. I can't remember whether I when I would even start doing that. You know, if I'm walking out of the room, I'm thinking, how much easier can I get from here to there not that i'll necessarily take the shortest route you know as i say look if you know what you're doing you only have two improvement opportunities efficiency or style you know so style can be just as important like you know i I don't have to walk the fastest way i might want to walk the coolest way
0: (laughs) (laughs) so uh have you ever fantasized about teleportation
1: absolutely I mean, from the, actually, from, from day one, you know, again, you know, I'm sort of famous for having said at one time I had 35 professions because when I actually when I was 35, I counted them up and professions. I mean, some of them were one night stands. You know, how many things have I ever done for money? But as you look back on my very first profession was at age five was magician. And, you know, in the course of my life, I've always been fascinated by the invisible and how it impacts on the visible, because being essentially a lazy person, uh, I figured I've always intuitively known that there was a whole lot we couldn't see that was probably more of a prime driver of everything we could see. And so if I could get a hold of that, what is that thing that's that that's that's probably bigger than all of us, that runs all of us? That if I could get inside of all of that, I could be able to move things by thinking about it. <laughs> Which is the ultimate laziness, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. But I think that people who grow up to be efficiency experts in any field are inherently, uh, or they consider themselves to be quite lazy. I think that's really common.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, the last person you'd want ever want to listen to talk about productivity is somebody who's into working hard, (laughs) because you're not you're you're not going to have you won't have tested the frontiers I have, right? With how little effort you you can make stuff happen. My- so a, a more practical, tactical answer to your question is that, you know, at a, at, a, at a certain point in time, having done so many different kind of things not knowing what I do, wanted to do when I grew up, uh, you know, I just was looking for what can I do as a really cool job that seemed to be what I was good at. And I just liked going into situations and looking around and seeing how I could improve them and then, you know, did what I could to improve them and then got bored and moved on. You know, the one day I discovered they actually pay people to do that. They yes. call them consultants, you know, and I went, <laughs> oh, wow. I wonder what if I could actually do that. You know, that's risky business, but hang out your shingle. So, you yeah. know, that, that's what I did in 1981. But I, then I was very hungry for, well, uh, I, I can, I sort of had a knack for walking into people's situations and sort of noticing inefficiencies or noticing, you know, what people could do better or easier in, in, in some way. But then I was hungry for what are some of the models that are that that's not quite so ad hoc, so I went on the search for uh, you know really really good models that that really worked, and that was the beginning of the you know of of, of the long story then in terms of you know finding techniques that as I began to cobble them together, um, they work uh, almost no matter who I t- talked to no matter who I worked with, uh, and I said wow that's really fascinating uh, and then began to put it all together. And it, as I say, it took me 25 years to actually figure out that what I'd figured out was unique, and nobody else seemed to have done it that way, and that it was really totally bulletproof.
0: Was there a Maybe, turning point for that? Not really.
1: The, the turning point, I mean, I don't have a kind of a ta-da personality, really. I mean, I, I, I wasn't comfortable putting something out, especially in a public uh, way, like writing a book about it, until or unless I was really, really sure that there weren't any holes in the information. And, it you know, in t- in 25 years and literally thousands of hours, you know, so Gladwell's 10,000 hours, I, I spent a lot more than that sitting desk side with some of the best and brightest and busiest people on the planet, you know, putting one foot in front of the other and sort of gradually sort of developing my own sort of reputation and brand with the stuff that I was doing, uh, just referral-based. But when when you know and i i can't name the company but you'd all know it if i did when i was started to write the book was when you know my biggest client was one of the most um uh high powered uh, uh well known intelligent sharp sophisticated uh wall street firms that you've ever heard of and when my stuff went viral inside of that environment i said hmm okay i guess this is good enough <laughs> and if they can't shoot a hole in it then i there probably nobody else could either so that was the you know somewhere along the line there was when i moved right book about all this from someday maybe to a real project
0: with that amount of research and confidence behind the idea were you at all surprised with the uh the uptake of gtd
1: bemused perhaps is a better word i i you know i approached this with no high anticipation but no expectation i really wasn't sure how much a i could put this actually what i had learned into a book in kind of a virtual form, without me personally sitting with people and being able to have the time to engage with them one on one I wasn't sure I could put it into a form that somebody just could pick it up off the shelf and 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 get it in any way so I wasn't sure they could get it. I also wasn't sure just from a marketing standpoint how you know how much people would recognize that you know there's in that it's a noisy marketplace out there, all the personal organization yeah. and prioritization and all the you know, all that stuff. Um, so I wasn't sure that, that I would stick out in any way, that anybody would would notice it enough to even get into the material. So those were unknowns to me. So it was obviously nice. I, I won't say surprise. As I say, Brett. it was kind of like depends on what, what side of the bed I got up on in the morning. <laughs> you know, if on one side I would get up, I go, I have only sold two million copies and there are, you know, six billion people on the planet. Jeez, why, won't they wake up? You know, get with it. You know, and there's another part of me that's surprised anybody gets it. (laughs) So, so I, you know, I, I sort of, you know, linger somewhere between all of that. So uh, that's, that's a long kind of non-answer to your question, but that's, that's, that's my take on it.
0: I can relate a lot of, a lot of what I do that, that solves a problem in a bullet, bullet, bulletproof manner for me falls on deaf ears. But then every once in a while, something gets like crazy amount of attention, and those are the moments that eventually made me realize I could go independent. I could kind of do what I do, which is essentially solving problems that, you know, other people may or may not have. But I'm often surprised by the uptake on c- certain ideas. Um, so speaking of getting out of bed, what does a self-professed, uh, lazy uh, GTD expert have for breakfast?
1: I have a protein drink. Um... Uh, I start with a, a glass of of uh, lemon water, half a lemon and a glass of water, kind of cleans out the system. Uh, I actually I have that first, then I have a nice lingering cup of coffee, uh, during which I check the weather and the New York Times, and might allow myself to play uh, a game of Words with friends or two, <laughs> uh, just kicking back, and then I have a protein drink. And kind of depends on whether my life feels inspired to, you know, make a little breakfast or not. Or if I, as in this morning, I'm, I'm right now I'm in Denver in a hotel, and decided I since I'm still a little jet lagged, I woke up at 4 a.m. So I was still a little hungry, so went and had uh, eggs over easy with uh, chicken sausage and a glass and a cup of coffee.
0: All right. Um, When you are at home, what's your uh, your coffee method of choice?
1: Uh, French press.
0: All right, all right. And
1: what's really cool is, I mean, I live in a place, I'm living in Amsterdam now, there are some the, of the coolest now little, you know, um, boutique, uh, very hip uh, coffee roasting uh, places just within, you know, walking distance of me. So, you know, being able to get really, really good coffees, actually medium to light roast uh, is the, the really the gourmet uh, side of game as opposed to the dark, bitter stuff that's, you know, in the, in the S-T-A-R, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. So that's, that's,
0: that's lovely. That's very intriguing Uh, to, to a coffee nerd anyway. Yeah. Um, So are you familiar with the, the idea of uh, mindful, uh, mindfulness in general and mindful meditation? Yeah. Do you partake in anything along those lines?
1: I do. Yeah. I've been involved in sort of inner, inner work in some way, shape or form uh, quite consciously since, so
0: 1968. Wow. Okay, so you're you're very experienced in this area. Do you find do, do you have any issues with uh with like ADD or attention in general? You mean, personally, yeah, you personally. And you don't have to answer uh, that if you're not comfortable with it. But
1: no, no, no. I, um, well, I think attention is is perspective. I used to say perspective was the most the slipperiest and most valuable commodity on the planet. And so attention has a lot to do with that. I think attention and how we manage our attention is a lifelong lifestyle game. That's really a lot of what GTD is about and it's more sophisticated uh, version uh, of that. So I, it's not an issue, it's just always an, uh, um,
0: an opportunity. Would to, you consider yourself having mastered the idea of mindfulness?
1: Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know that I would say I could master anything on this <laughs> level. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good at being able to do that. I mean, I got a lot of training in the martial arts and a lot of training in meditation, meditative kind of practices about, uh, about that because uh, a lot of that is about focus. And, of course, a lot of GTD was about how do I make that as easy as possible to maintain a presence of mind no matter what I'm doing. Because, you know, the secret to GTD is it's not really about getting things done. You know, it's 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 really about being appropriately engaged with your life. Uh, but what will prevent appropriate engagement is distraction and not being present. So, you know, learning early on, even in the martial arts, how to focus on your breathing to bring you present. So in, in case you're in pain, you focus on your breathing because it's the fastest way to bring you present. Because pain, you know, and this is it's theoretical, but I know, you know, I, I've had enough experience to validate it is pain only comes out of your ego, uh, out of fear of the past and, and, or, you know, uh, regretting something for the past and, and fear of the future. So if you can get, if you can get yourself totally present, you know, which a lot of the yogis have learned, trained themselves to do and, you know, in India and so forth and walk on coals and stick themselves with pins and so forth. Pain is actually only sensation. Right. So, so th- there are a lot, of, and you can demonstrate that. I mean, very, there are a lot of very practical ways to bring yourself present. So I don't know that I would say I'm a master of it. I'm too lazy to master that. <laughs> well, I mean, why, you know? <laughs> but why, not, why not let yourself just be scattered and be spontaneous and daydream? That, well, they, there's a lot of, there's, by the way, there's a lot of new research out there that's validating the necessity for the brain to stop focusing and to let itself be totally spontaneous because that's how the archiving part of your brain refreshes Uh, all the inputs that you've had. If you're not doing that, you're going to start to.
0: See, I'm a master of that. I've entirely mastered the idea (laughs) of being spontaneous and just doing whatever my brain says. It's the idea of mindfulness, the idea of like being able to focus and study martial arts. Um, I've had guests previously, Sean Blanc uh, specifically, who have talked to me about how that changed the, the, the rest of their life. You know like, sure, you can defend yourself in a street alley, but that wasn't the point for him. It was more of this mindfulness kind of idea, and that's very intriguing to me as someone who doesn't feel capable I would love to uh, I would love to be able to at least some of the time feel like I was mindfully doing what I do
1: well, by the way i'm you know I'm reading a, an absolutely brilliant book uh, that talks a lot about this this whole. Uh, aspect of how our brains work and how they don't work. Uh, it's called brain chains. Uh, the chains that the, the title comes from the, the the five major things that have chained your brain, uh, especially in this sort of multitasking, you know, hyperconnected world out there. That we need to understand that in terms of literally how the brain functions, and the reflective brain. And basically, you know, the, the author who is Theo Compernole, a Dutchman, actually living in Belgium right now. Uh, but it's a brilliant book, a brilliant aggregation of, of the last 10, 15, 20 years of research in this area. And apparently there are three brains. You have your reflective brain, which is the newest part of your brain. That's the forebrain, you know, that's developed over, you know, however, I don't know how, what you'd call recent about that. And that's the thinking brain. That's the analytical brain. That's the brain that can do past and future. And it's the focusing one. It's the one that actually you know, sits down and thinks about how do I respond to this email. It thinks about the best way to do X, Y, and Z. And that actually is the weaker part of the brain. The, more, the most powerful part of your brain is the reflex brain. And that's the one that you know, got developed so that you either ate or got eat, didn't get eaten you know, on the savanna you know, millions of years ago. And that's, that's the immediate everything's present. Uh, you know, automatic, uh, responsive kind of brain, which kind of can hold intuitive thoughts, but also can be very, can screw you up. But it's a lot stronger, and it doesn't require any effort. It's almost like it's humming all the time. The reflective brain actually takes horsepower. And that's, you know, if you've heard the concept of decision fatigue, that's the thing that gets tired. That is something you actually have to nurture, whatever. And if you let the reflex brain take over, or you let your reflective brain get get wrapped around his point basically get wrapped around you know snacking on, the, on the, in, in the e world uh, then you know what you're not doing is nurturing that part of your brain and it'll get it'll just fry up and then then you become the at effect of the, the reflex brain which is not that smart and can cause a lot of stupid mistakes but the archive brain the third part is the one that's why you know the reflective brain needs to stop. Relax, let go, because it's now been, you know, incorporating all kinds of information and all kinds of stuff. And meanwhile, the archive brain can't work at the same time. Once the reflexive brain stops, then the archive brain goes to work, putting together all of that input that you had. And that's why sleep is critical, because that's what it's that's when it is most able to do what it does, because the reflective brain just went unconscious. And so then it gets to work like crazy. But that's why it's so critical to take uh, to take breaks and not to not to let the reflex brain or the reflective brain uh you know wear out <laughs> if sure. you will it needs to be refreshed all that to say um turns out i 'm i 'm co i 'm going so sort of co um, lead a workshop with Theo in in the, in amsterdam uh, in the fall um somebody 's put us together and uh it 's going to be interesting to see because the the whole idea of g t d uh about being present is that you, you can't really focus your reflective brain you know, like fully and being present if you're distracted. If you need cat food, and that thought, gee, I need cat food, you know pops in more than once. You're inappropriately engaged with your cat. And that you need cat food could pop in and take up you know, brain bandwidth uh, when you're trying to focus. So if you're not handling those things that are the incompletions of your life and parking them appropriately in the right places, making the right decisions about them, all the GTD stuff, then what's going to happen is you won't be able to put your attention on something 100%. And not, not only that, you won't be able to actually um, refresh your brain, at least while you're conscious. Because you sit, there, you sit back to stop and be reflective and let yourself daydream, and, oh, Jesus, I need cat food <laughs> pops into your head. You know, so uh, you can't do either one. So if you actually apply the GTD methodology, that is start paying attention to what has your attention, and then appropriately engage with it so it gets off your mind, then you're much more able to be healthy about, uh, you know, focusing and refreshing.
0: Absolutely. I, uh, I, uh, as an animal lover, I am often told I'm inappropriately engaged with my cat, <laughs> which may <laughs> become does your, does,
1: t- your, does your cat let you know that
0: <laughs> it, it may become the title of the episode. But, um, but yeah, I, uh, it was, it was the mind like water principle, that initially changed the way that I work, and just being able to do the dump, and just get everything out of my head so that I was free, that was the biggest. That was the biggest draw for me, and the that was the thing that kind of got me started. When Merlin Mann would talk about this idea, and that was I don't know, it was um, it was the reason I bought uh, getting things done to begin with was just the idea of being able to alleviate my mind of all these less-than-pressing, like, yeah, you need to remember it, but do you need to think about it every 10 seconds kind of thing? And uh, I, I greatly appreciate I greatly appreciate you pretty much uh, offering me a solution to that. So that is... Well,
1: yeah, well, you're welcome, but Brett, you know, I just recognize something that actually is just quite a mechanical process. I mean, we're you know my my CEO and I are, have the the seven generation vision, and I'm actually trying to build, you know, structures and institutions and distribution models of the GTD methodology now, so that seven generations from now, this is the way the world thinks. But it and and a lot of these you know the new these these the books that are showing up now with all this cognitive science research are basically just validating this actually. Subtle, but it is just a mechanical principle that your head is for having ideas and not for holding them. It's not designed for that.
0: Do you think that's a a personality trait, the ability to recognize these? uh, They're mechanical, but some people can separate themselves from the task at hand and recognize the patterns behind it. Do you think that's a personality trait that you might have?
1: Uh, Yeah, I think so. Somebody told me that my uh, Myers-Briggs pattern. Is, is actually a modeling pattern, you know, that recognizes models or recognizes under underlying models. So beats, beats me, uh, but, <laughs> but I, I guess. Yeah. So,
0: yeah. All right. Uh, last question before the top two or three picks, Um uh, do you, do you drink alcohol? I do. What is your favorite alcoholic beverage?
1: Really, really good French or Italian wines.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I I don't know many wine drinkers, and uh, I I it's intriguing to me because wine takes a very certain amount of uh, dedication to learning, because you can have some really bad wines that'll turn you off to wine forever.
1: Well, unfortunately, uh, it <laughs> you know one of my many professions was waiting on tables, you know, being a, a being a waiter, and one of my one of my more interesting fun creative waitering jobs was at a little French restaurant, a little country French rest, restaurant out in West L.A. This is like 1980 while I was doing some other things. And uh, had this waitering job, and the guy who ran the restaurant was an expert in Bordeaux wines. Now, as a waiter, anybody out there who's ever waited on tables in a nice restaurant knows that not everybody always finishes every bottle of wine. <laughs> and so what's left at the bottom of the bottle of wine is, you know, you don't want to necessarily throw that away when you clear the table, if there's a decent amount in there. And unfortunately, you know, wine is one of those things that you can, you can raise the bar pretty fast and gets pretty expensive too, as you raise the bar on good wine. So, uh, but that's kind of where it started, and then it became, you know, somewhat of a hobby. But of course, it's one of those things—a a hobby you could only support within one's budget. So, <laughs> so uh, but I've always enjoyed it. You know, I was an exchange student. You know, I, I grew up in in the in the U.S., but I, I was an exchange student in high school, and I lived with a Swiss family for a year when I was seventeen and eighteen. Um, and you know, and they drank wine every. You know, every day, and that's where I learned that. Oh, that's nice stuff, and that actually feels kind of healthy, and and was a good thing to do. So I, I I sort of took on the European. uh, I don't know if it's not panache, but it's sort of the European sort of habit or standards, or uh, you know, delight in you know in in, uh, that as as a gourmet thing. So anyway, it's great having moved to to the Netherlands, uh, to Amsterdam. Of course, my my wine budget is now a third of what it was living in, <laughs> in Santa in Santa Barbara, <laughs> <For sure. laughs> which is which, which is nice.
0: I uh, I'm a Scotch fan, and I've never had that. Oh, this feels healthy thought once <laughs> while sampling my favorite scotches.
1: Yeah, well, uh, come on, we, we pick your battles.
0: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> This episode of Systematic is brought to you by PDF Pen Pro 7, which brings new pro-level features to Smile's super versatile PDF editor for Mac OS X. Now you can edit OCR text from scanned pages, and you can also export to Excel, PowerPoint, and PDF archive formats, and you can now create PDF forms with interactive signature fields too. PDF Pen Pro 7 also includes some updates that are also found in PDF Pen 7. Like an updated for Yosemite user interface, you can proof OCR text from scan pages, and you also get context-sensitive pop-up menus, which enable really quick edits. There are also really nice improvements to load and save performance, compatibility with iCloud Drive, and you can also do freeform highlighting to call out things on drawings and diagrams. That may sound like a lot, but trust me, there's even more where that came from. If you want a great rundown on getting started, Max Sparky himself, Mr. David Sparks, has done a series of new videos on how to do a bunch of common tasks with PDF Pen 7 and PDF Pen Pro 7. There's a link in the show notes, so make sure to check those out. You can learn all about PDF Pen Pro and PDF Pen from Smile at smilesoftware.com/systematic and a big thanks to Smile for their continued support of Systematic and ESN. This episode of Systematic is brought to you by Paddle, the best way to manage and sell your apps and games as an indie developer. If you're an indie dev, Paddle saves you from worrying about how you're selling and managing your apps. You already have enough things to get done, right? What happens when you want to sell unlockable content and features? A week after launch, how are you going to know how many people let a trial run out? Even just implementing a payment API in the most user-friendly way is intimidating, especially if you'd rather concentrate on developing the actual app. Paddle keeps all these things from ever even being on your to-do list. I use Paddle with my apps and this is true. With just three lines of code, you can have analytics as well as trial periods, payments, in-app purchases, and more all running in your app. Paddle's cross-platform in-app analytics SDK is free no matter how many users your app has or gets. You get great data right out of the box. App launches, device, OS and version reports all shows up right in the Paddle dashboard as soon as you integrate like magic. To support Systematic, visit paddle.com slash podcast to learn more. You've got enough to do building an app. Let Paddle free up your time to focus on making it great. This episode is sponsored by another great app that I love to use, How to Spot. It's a powerful file search tool for Mac it has a clear and structured interface to get to your files as quickly as possible and you can find files by typing in just a few words or you can build a precise query combining all sorts of criteria it's kinda like spotlight just faster more flexible and with way more features narrow down your search results to just the files you're interested in you can search several locations at once and you can preview files in text matches set up templates for recurring searches how to Spot works great with tagging in OS X. If you haven't already, listen to Systematic episode 128 where I talk to Joel Anderson about it. Tagging is so important in my digital way of life that I'm writing a book on it and How to Spot is perfect with it. How to Spot is the future of working with files on Mac. You can redeem coupon code Systematic20 by March 8th at howtocom coupon that's H-O-U-D-A-H for a 20% discount on single user or family licenses. That's systematic20 at howda.com slash coupon. Go check it out. Uh, well, that brings us to the top three picks and uh, we may do a top two. How are you feeling about that?
1: Yeah, well, I got two right off top of mine. Uh... But if you poke at me, I might I, I might come up with some others.
0: All right. Well, we do it round robin. So uh, one at a time, and we start with the guests. So what's your first top pick?
1: My first top pick is a book I'm reading. I mentioned that already. It's called Brain Chains by Theo Compernoli, C-O-M-P-E-R-N-O-L-L-E. I just checked. It is available on Amazon. Uh, and it is truly a manifesto uh, about what I think anybody in today's world who is finds themselves dealing with the electronic world, not to give up the electronic world, but not to let it undermine uh, true intelligence and you know productivity. It's it's fabulous, and uh, I'm I'm a third of the way through it, and uh, already recommending it to everybody I've talked to. So that's number one.
0: That sounds great because I get very frustrated with people who go like Luddite Amish on the internet because they realize it is it's causing problems, but they don't work to find a way to adapt to what is, you know, it's the future, like this kind of information, this is how we absorb it. But I do think it's very important to, uh, to find ways to incorporate it without damaging the psyche.
1: Well, you know, Teo's point basically is, I mean, is that all the, the, you know, ICT, it calls it information uh, communication technology, that all of that is fabulous and can very much support intelligent productivity. It's not about what it's doing; it's about what you're not doing when you're when you're when you get wrapped around the axle about it. It's the reflective stuff. You're not you're not deepening your thought by actually taking time to back off and think about things, be in you know real conversations with yourself and with other people, and that's and also a lot of the detrimental effect of the, you know, attempting to multitask when you can't really do that. And that so is, that's, that, that's a lot of his point. Yeah.
0: yeah. And that's wonderful. I yeah. will definitely be checking that out. I have, uh, I've had uh, neuroscientists on the show in the past and I will probably again soon because I have a lot of questions, but, um, uh, but yeah, that's definitely an area that is highly intriguing to me. So I will be adding that to my Amazon to buy list. All right, so my first pick is actually a uh, it's a game, and I generally I like puzzle games that I can play at my own pace and solve problems, and not uh, not more action based uh, reflex games. But there's a new one called Then It Rained, and it's a very simple concept where you you move buckets into the right place to catch raindrops of the right color. And it starts off very easy. It's easy to get into, easy to get good at, and then just gets faster and more complex. And I'm finding it, like, it has this kind of white noise rain soundtrack uh, in the background and soothing music as you play. And it's kind of a, it's a fast-paced, like, action game without making me feel stressed out. And I'm, I'm very much enjoying that. And that's pretty much the whole pick. So, what's your number two? <laughs> so, it's back to me? Yes. <laughs> number,
1: two, number two is another book. I have to say, sorry to be in the same genre of things, but it's a book still in the same genre of things. And it's one also that's new, or at least within the last few months. Um, and it's also about cognitive science and also validating of the GTD process. It's called The Organized Mind by Daniel Levitin, L-E-V-I-T-I-N, head of the neuroscience department at McGill, over your side of the, you're in Europe's end of the world. And uh, uh, Daniel's book is really, if you read the first, at least the first third of it, is the, the absolute necessity for building the external brain. And again, another version, another validation, and a lot of ag- aggregation of, of research about all this. So of course I'm enthralled with it because it's bringing you know into much more a, a, the popular culture what we've been talking about that that the brain is not designed to do what everybody's trying to make it do, and that the the solution is a simple one, not necessarily easy because of the the, the habits you have to change, you know about it. But uh, it's a brilliant book, and Dan's a you know a smart guy, and uh, you know both of those are either and both are 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 great reads
0: they uh i have to thank you for bringing these to my attention because i i've had a trouble i've had trouble for a long time now getting into fiction books as much as i want to uh just get lost in a story i haven't been able to but things that truly fascinate me such as you know how the brain works have uh have been able those are the only books i can get close to finishing these days so I, uh, I, I do thank you for those recommendations because they both sound awesome. Mm-hmm. All right, so my number two, do you, do you ever use uh, Spotlight on a Mac? Yeah. Okay, so I depend almost entirely on Spotlight for my file organization, and I have very complex systems with metadata set up to make that work, uh, but on iOS, none of those exist. Uh, and there's an app called Spotcha, uh, S-P-O-T-C-H-A exclamation And then there's a new version called Spotcha Plus, which just adds a plus symbol at the end. And uh, it runs a, a partner app on your Mac. And then you can access it over the internet and run Spotlight on your remote Macintosh. I shouldn't say Macintosh. That doesn't exist anymore. On your remote Mac. And run Spotlight queries and then uh, take the results and upload them to any service that you need to access them. And for me, and it can run advanced searches, it can run all kinds of Boolean searches and does what I need. But at at its bare minimum, you can just search for a word and it'll give you all the results. And then you can do what you need to with them. And it's not a gorgeous app. I, I, I don't give them a lot of points for style, but it's very utilitarian and it's highly useful. Do you have a number three that may have been sparked, or are you uh, are you passing well, a number three?
1: I have I have about thirty five. Listening to what you were talking, <laughs> <laughs>
0: go for it. Take anything you want.
1: Take anything I want. A, a lot of mine is just legacy stuff I've got on my Mac. I mean, first of all, um, uh, I've been using GoBan, G O B A N, as my my computer Go program for oh, several years, and I, I love Go. Uh, but I seldom have the time or presence or or people around me to be able to play, but goban is is uh slightly better than me and it's uh, it 's great so it's a, it's it 's an escape but a but a, a deep one so so,
0: so it 's a computer you can play the game go against correct wow, that might actually get me to learn go
1: ah uh, first one 's free kid yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> is go is go uh it's kind. Of, it's a thinker game. It's akin to chess, isn't it?
1: It is. It is more. It's easier to. to it's easier to get into it and play. Uh, and and more comp. It, it it took the AI people a lot longer to build a computerized <laughs> Go game than a than a computerized chess game.
0: Because there are more variables. I mean, yep. there's not like a set pattern that each piece can. It's hard yeah. to compute when it's everything is more human variable. That's uh. Yeah, it's yeah, so, intriguing.
1: So that's one. Uh, I, I love the brain. You know, Harlan built the, 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 the personal brain, which I've, I've used now for years, not as a complete set of anything, but as a fun way to park random data and then watch it ultimately get connected to other interesting, cool stuff. So I still use it, still resident there whenever I'm, whenever I'm on my Mac. And every once in a while, you know, creates some fascinating information. Like, gee, the next time I'm going to be in Winnipeg, or the next time I'm going to be in whatever. Do I know anybody there? Have ever eaten in a restaurant there? Whatever. So that's that's cool. So I'll do a quick run through. By the way, Brett, you know my cool. I'm still using Mind Manager, though. The the they haven't they got a few quirks for the Mac for it now that they haven't debugged yet. But yes. I, I could, It's still good enough for me. If you go in and put an X, uh, an XMMAP, uh, XMMP, you can actually open the file. <laughs> so who, who knew? Anyway, uh, so I still use that a bunch, and uh, and Evernote. You know, I'm a I'm a relatively new Evernote guy, and uh, you know, Phil and company have done a really great job in making that such a ubiquitous, universal, you know, uh, 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 you know, reference capture tool. I just use it for reference. A lot of people are using now Evernote and reframing it for GTD lists. Uh, I don't do that, but uh, you know, that's that's really. That's that's a cool tool, nice to have, and the the last thing, and I'll stop after that is Amsterdam. (laughs) Uh, So I and I it's funny, you know, Catherine and I had, uh, you know, it was on our someday maybe list that we wanted to kind of unhook and get a whole different kind of lifestyle view, and so the move. People say, why on earth would you move from Santa Barbara to Amsterdam? I said, well, you know, two thirds of it was really sort of personal lifestyle adventure. A third of it is business, where GTD is actually starting to get traction in Europe and Amsterdam's, you know, right in the middle of everything over there. Amsterdam is, is, is as I've discovered, the San Francisco of Europe, very similar, same size, and uh, very interestingly, a lot of parallels in terms of the culture, you know, which is great. And I love San Francisco as well. And, it's, and, and another book about it, as we were moving, we moved uh, back in May. Uh, and it was really just throw a dart. We could have moved anywhere. We'd fall in love with the city. But to make a long story short, I really realized, oh, doing Amsterdam as a project, learning it, understanding what I could glean from it, You know, just stepping into a place where I didn't know anybody and seeing what I could learn and what I could do and, and see it that way. And the fascination uh, of a cultural center like that with the history that it has and a, a new book that came out actually right before we moved to Amsterdam called Amsterdam, History of the world's most liberal city, which is the most fascinating intellectual history, cultural history book I've, I've ever read. So, you, we, when you mentioned you don't read nonfiction, that nonfiction reads like a like a like a movie, and it was fascinating because I was an American uh, intellectual history major in college, uh, and. I never knew that a whole lot of what the American psyche and where it came from, in terms of how how it thinks and the core of its DNA, actually started in Amsterdam. It was really the first place that the individual took priority over the monarchy and the church, in terms of how the place was structured and and its DNA itself. Long story short, it's a fabulous book. So it's by Russell Shorto, S-H-O-R-T-O, and uh, delightful. Even if you don't Go to Amsterdam or live there. It is. It's really fascinating, and especially if you're interested in that. His previous book was a was the history of Manhattan, called the Island in the Center of the World. Nice. And of course, when you do the history of Manhattan, guess what you find out? New Amsterdam. Right. And so, so then Shorto moved to 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 to, uh, to Amsterdam for and then for six years and researched that fascinating stuff. Nice. So if you're interested in. Where you think where the Enlightenment really started, and, and what was some of the core reasons for it, and and why? Uh, brilliant, brilliant read, brilliant writing.
0: My uh, my guest, to before you, not currently published as we speak, but will be by the time this podcast is heard. Was uh, he's a Netherlands resident, Netherlands resident who we discussed Amsterdam uh, at at some length, and I am actually pretty fascinated with the uh, the entire uh, political structure. And the the dominance of a humanism, if you will, mm-hmm. I think it'll be. Uh, I think it'll be very interesting to uh, to take a look at that as well. And I would. I wanted to mention. Have you tried iThoughts X? No. It's uh. It's my new. It replaced Mindjet Mind Manager for me on the Mac. And it costs half as much, and it does everything that I really used Mind Manager for and it does it fluidly, and it has an amazingly responsive developer. But I mentioned that not as a pick, because my last pick is the unofficial Apple weblog, which as of today, it's official news, is being cut by AOL. And uh, Tua is where I got my start in uh, Mac blogging. It's where I got my start with networking within this community. And uh, when I was given a writing spot there, it pretty much changed my career path, and I, I want to thank Tuaw for 10 years of great reporting and great innovation, and I will miss them dearly. It's an in-memoriam pick. Cool. All right. So, that's, uh, we're a little over, but I'm absolutely fine with that. Uh, that was David Allen, and you can be found at GettingThingsDone.com. And uh, and people can contact you at David at DavidCo.com. And, of course, on Twitter, you are Guy. Anywhere else you want to mention? No, that'll do it. All right. Well, thanks for being here, David. My pleasure, Brett. this has been fun i hope you'll make it back again soon Uh, i'd like to thank everybody for listening and be sure to check out overtired also on esn with christina warren and, and myself and uh have a great week